This is a Socialist News and Views special report. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special report. We're facing an emergency. Healthcare is under incredible strain both in the U.S. and in many other parts of the globe. More than two years of COVID grafted on top of a capitalist system that favors profits over people has led us to this point. First, I want to quickly tell my story. I'm a registered nurse who worked in a hospital previously after over three years, i.e. since before the pandemic, of sounding the alarm to management, legislators, and others. I left the hospital because of moral distress and moral injury. And what that means is I was not able to provide the level of care to patients that I believed I was required to provide as a nurse. My own situation started with my role in a biocontainment unit at Fairview Riverside in Minneapolis. I was involved in the role since before the pandemic. The unit was to be used for infectious disease cases and was built in response to a previous Ebola outbreak. Um, In the fall of 2019, I asked the person running the training on the unit why all the supplies on the unit were out of date. And I was told if the unit was activated, the supplies would be replaced with new ones. So the supplies will be replaced in the middle of a pandemic, I asked. Uh, There's a process in place, I was told. Unfortunately, when the pandemic began in the U.S. six months later, the hospital was consistently out of needed pandemic supplies, as were many other hospitals across the country. Hospitals had chosen a lean model based on just-in-time manufacturing and efficiency instead of preparing and stockpiling needed supplies for a pandemic that all epidemiologists knew was just a matter of time in coming. Over the two-plus years of the pandemic in Minnesota, again and again, Hospital management, legislators, and the governor, Tim Waltz, were told that hospitals and healthcare facilities were not prepared for coming surges, were not treating healthcare staff fairly, and were failing to implement simple, straightforward demands of nurses to maintain staffing levels. Instead, hospitals chose to pay traveling nurses well above what they paid their own longtime employees. I left the hospital environment on a leave of absence last year and officially left my position in September of 2021. The pandemic and the ongoing refusal of management to listen to healthcare workers' needs had led me to a situation where I could not provide appropriate care to patients. And things have only gotten worse with the Omicron variant. The U.S. continues to sacrifice over a thousand people every week to COVID to keep the U.S. economy running. But it isn't only the U.S. struggling with COVID numbers. Here's a clip from 7 News Australia about old age homes struggling with COVID there. They suffered the worst fate during the 2020 outbreak. Now Australia's most vulnerable are once again facing a COVID crisis. The number of aged care centres with a COVID outbreak has more than doubled in recent days. Reaching 1,100 facilities. In New South Wales, 425 aged care centres are impacted. 356 in Victoria. In South Australia, 155. Queensland, 133. But the U.S. is on a whole nother level. Here's a January 17th clip from CBS News. 
Now, the Omicron surge is continuing to set new records across the U.S. More than 66 million Americans have been infected with COVID-19. More than 851,000 of them have died. Now, the nation is recording more than 800,000 cases each day. This is for the first time since the start of the pandemic. However, after weeks of soaring infections, areas that were hit earliest by the Omicron variant are starting to see cases drop. But experts warn this latest wave isn't close to being over just yet. On the situation in the U.S., two articles titles illustrate this well from STL Today and Denver Post, respectively, both on January 18th. One title, St. Louis COVID hospitalizations hit another record high, and hospital crisis care already happening amid Colorado's Omicron surge, ER doctor warns Polis. Jared Polis, of course, being the governor of Colorado. The Denver Post article goes on, quote, Colorado's emergency rooms are essentially already rationing health care amid COVID-19's Omicron surge, but without the legal protection that would come if the state authorized crisis standards, a physician group told Governor Jared Polis' staff, late last week, end quote. We have also been seeing tweets come out from concerned nurses across the country. Here's one such tweet that I saw recently. Quote, I have a patient in his 30s who's in the ICU with a massive stroke from uncontrolled blood pressure. He lost his health insurance during COVID and couldn't afford his blood pressure medication. This is a common occurrence in the United States, the richest country in the world, end quote. And young people and children are bearing the brunt. The number of children in American hospitals with COVID-19 is rising fast, says the headline of The Economist on January 17th. The article says, quote, The number of children hospitalized with COVID-19 is rising quickly. In America, more are in hospital with the disease than ever before, end quote. But some young people are fighting back. Students in Boston and Chicago walked out of school protesting against the dangers of in-person learning in schools, which are one of the top, if not the top, sites in the country of COVID spread. Here's what some of the students had to say on a video from ABC News, January 14th. Who keeps us safe? We're already not really learning as much because it's um, so many people are out that uh, we should at least have an option to be online. I live with two grandparents who are immune compromised plus a couple of other family members. So I don't want to go to school, risk getting sick and then have to come home to them. So the quote unquote safety agreement uh, that was concluded out of uh, CPS and CTU sitting at the table together, there was no young people sitting at that table. We have a voice and it matters and that's what we're here for. We're here so that CPS can hear our voices. And of course, we also saw a walkout of students here in Minneapolis and St. Paul on Tuesday the 18th. And in that last clip, CPS obviously stands for Chicago Public Schools, CTU, Chicago Teachers Union. Speaking of Chicago, of course, the Midwest has in no way escaped the intensity of the Omicron wave. New masking restrictions have gone into effect in cities like Minneapolis and St. Paul, but it may be too little too late, with NPR News on January 13th saying, quote, nursing home operators fear collapse after another COVID wave, end quote. And the National Guard, quote, staffing Wisconsin hospitals, end quote, according to CBS Minnesota on the same day. In fact, hospitals 
and long-term care facilities are some of the hardest hit institutions in addition to schools, with CARE 11 saying, quote, Minnesota loses about 2,000 long-term care workers each month, end quote, in its article title on January 14th. These aren't the only signs of a rapidly collapsing healthcare system in Minnesota. January 14th, Bring Me the News has an article titled, Ridgeview Halting Urgent Care Services at Chaska Site Until Further Notice. The article says this change in service starts January 17th. According to the facility, the reason is, quote, growing emergency medical needs. Worse yet, it's crushing Mercy Hospital ER under strain due to COVID. That's the title of an article from ABC News on January 13th. The article says COVID is having significant impact on patients visiting the emergency room for other serious conditions. That article says one patient with kidney problems waited 15 hours to be admitted to the hospital from the ER. The article quotes Mercy ER medical director as saying 25 to 30 percent of the ER traffic is from COVID. And now to talk about the situation in Minnesota, we connect with another Twin Cities nurse. And in the interview, we use two acronyms, PPE, which is personal protective equipment, something workers wear to protect them from hazards, and ED, what a lot of hospitals call their emergency department or the emergency room, as you might know it. You want to just tell us who you are? Bridget Gavin, and I am a nurse um, in the Twin Cities area. And um, this past summer, I uh, I actually resigned from my position as a nurse at the bedside um, related to concerns for um safety at my workplace um and those concerns are shared by other nurses in my community and uh, I work to communicate with nurses and to talk and to listen to their experience um as you know the COVID pandemic continues to rage on and continues to have surges and I look forward to like helping to communicate those experiences with others. Um, Super that's important. An important part of our organizing in our community. Yeah, absolutely. So you are, um, so you're not at the bedside anymore, but you're still. That is correct. You're still commu- in communication with people that are in uh, a more uh, patient, direct patient care type uh, roles. And what what are they what are they saying as far as like how things are compared to when you left the bedside? Um, so I left the bedside right as um, there was actually a great a great improvement in the numbers of COVID cases, especially within Minnesota um, and actually across the nation. So the end of July into to August is is where we saw the most improvement, and then unfortunately. Um, had anticipated that as we were seeing um, a decreased response from management in terms of requesting, like, response to our issues that we were experiencing, like a lack of PPE. Right. Um, and a continual kind of denial to that COVID is airborne. Um, and really this sort of lackadaisical daily change in like policy and practice and like how we handle it. Um, it like really masking like for exa- masking, for example, and what PPE we wear and all that kind of stuff. Exactly changed yeah, many exactly. times. 
Yeah, and, and, and really the frustrating part, if I remember correctly at that time, was we were seeing um, really conflicting responses for management on like uh, our visitor policy. So visitor policies at various Twin Cities hospitals um, were quite varied and certain systems would allow for, you know, more visitors or less. But, you know, again, at that time, we had seen such great um, decline in the numbers that we knew <laughs> that it was airborne and that those tactics and, and, and using the PPE were working um, to respond to that. But then to lift a lot of those um, practices was just very disheartening. <laughs> You know, I'm not just a nurse, I'm also public health nurse certified, and, um, you know, it really goes against everything that I was educated on. Right. Um, Right. You want to maintain a standard of protection, and you want to maintain that standard over a period of time, and that should not be changing monthly or even... Correct, and that's the biggest thing about public health is, like, it's it's unwavering, right? it, It needs to continue. It's just... It is a base and needs to be steady and needs to be firm. And right. I understand with the politics of the world that there's, you know, community members that don't necessarily agree with, um, with they push back against those rules and, um, you know, to each their own, but right. science is another thing. Science, science holds steady. Absolutely. <laughs> data proves that. Yep, data, and if you want to follow data, so you so you said you left uh, July August kind of time frame, and things seemed like maybe they were improving a little bit. Then we're seeing the Omicron wave now. Um, reading and hearing a lot of things about wait times, about people you know not being able to be seen for other serious conditions, things like that. Right now in Minnesota, is that the kind of things you're hearing? What, what kind of stories are you hearing about? Uh, yeah, weights yeah. And... great question. Um, so after I left, it, it didn't take very long with, you know, that sort of nursing gut feeling I had about um, those numbers worsening with right. what I was, like, anecdotally seeing at the bedside prior to leaving. Yep. That, that loosening of, like, the restrictions and the loosening of practice at the bedside. Um, as I, you know, I watched those numbers as I was, no longer at the bedside, and I still track them, um, they worsened, and the stories I started to hear from community members and and nurses at the bedside were, um, you know, individuals who were starting to have what we would call pretty serious, like, respiratory issues or chest pain. You know, those are number one issues that when you come into the ED, you should be seen right away. Um, Right. I mean, they could, they're, it's life and death, literally. <laughs> in normal times, um, and, in normal times, you'll be seen right away. Exactly. But that's exactly. not happening now, correct? That is not happening now. No, they are waiting, um, not only just like waiting inside um, the waiting room of the ED for hours, but it's days at this point in the pandemic at times. And usually patients are being bedded in the emergency room, which means usually within, you know, a number of hours, we would want patients to be able to have a bed within the hospital. But now they're on gurneys and, and maybe not even gurneys, um, you know, in the hallways in the EDs. Um, and this isn't 
just Minnesota across the nation, you know, doctors and nurses are talking about this. And um, really community members should be thinking about like that quality of care, how that has drastically changed, you know, within this pandemic. And that's not something that um, the pandemic itself brought on. I mean, these issues, um, healthcare workers have brought up prior to the pandemic, concern for um, patient flow, uh, bed availability, uh, being able to meet the needs of patients via staffing. So those concerns were just um, really brought to the surface. Right. And, and, um, magnified by COVID. Yeah. And I said, I said earlier in the program that, um, you know, that, yeah, that COVID is having an aggravating effect, but, um, you know, hospitals and, uh, governments, legislators were unprepared, uh, for a pandemic that public health people and, uh, epidemiologists knew was coming, uh, for some time. And yet, you know, they, they were caught unprepared. And on top of that, you know, figure in the staffing issue that staffing has been a huge issue in hospitals for a long time. I was just saying earlier in the program about somebody with a serious kidney issue that was waiting in the hospital for 15 hours to be admitted and get a bed. And so it sounds like that's not an uncommon uh, situation at this point in the uh, Omicron wave. Unfortunately, it is not. And I never thought within my lifetime that that would be an issue. Mm-hmm. Although I would have to say I've been a practicing nurse for over 13 years, but within the last few years of my nursing practice, I've really seen like an attempt to um, like degrade the nursing practice. And it's not just nursing, it's doctors as well. Like this, the corporatization of healthcare Um really changes it from a community-centered, healthcare-driven model to this money-driven model that just can't get enough out of production. And that really does a disfavor to the community as well as to employees. And um, it's disheartening to be an individual that um, really wants to uphold their profession and just sees it being whittled away. I agree. I feel the same way. I did talk about my situation a little bit earlier in the program. I know you have to go in a second. I just wanted to to say one more thing. So the thing I've been communicating to people is, you know, the numbers are a big part of my concern right now, but even more than the, you know, actual numbers is the fact of how overwhelmed the hospitals are. And that's my biggest concern that I'm warning people about, you know, continuing to take significant mitigation measures. Obviously, we want people to get vaccinated continue to mask. If you're with groups of people, avoid large public events, uh, you know, social distancing, all that stuff. And, you know, and N95 masks, if you can, uh, get your hands on them, avoid public situations as much as possible. That's still the best, uh, the best advice, correct? That's correct. That's my understanding. But, you know, public health practices that recommend the airborne precautions are still the best practice. Um, you know, and, and maintain good communication with your community members. Make sure people have access. Um, a lot of individuals are talking about um, mutual aid groups, so groups where individuals, um, you know, like myself, um, who have healthcare experience or who have uh, public health experience, meaning connected, so that you know if individuals do need masks, do need resources, or, um, you know, rides 
to and from appointments. Those are all important for remaining connected within your community as well. That's fantastic. I really appreciate you speaking with me, Bridget. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it as well. And that's our special report. Thanks for listening. This has been a Socialist News and Views special report.